0: Jonah started into the city, walking one day, and he cried out, Just forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a feast and put on mourning clothes, from the greatest of them to the least significant. When word of it reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robe, covered himself with mourning clothes, and sat in ashes. Then he announced, in Nineveh, by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock, will taste anything. No grazing and no drinking water. Let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes and let them call upon God forcefully. And let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. He thought, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 through
1: 9. Amen. Thanks, Andy. Good morning, everyone. Oh, no. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. I've come better prepared this morning. The last uh, two Sundays, I've gotten on such a tear. Such a, such a zone I get into when I'm preaching that I uh, preach all of the hydration out of my entire body, and by the, time, <laughs> by the time I take a break to sing and then get up for communion, I, I can't speak anymore. So I've got my water. Dave gave me some cough drops, and uh, we're going to see if we can do it better this time. All right, so we are in the middle of a series called Torn. Torn. We're talking about sin. It is Lent, the season that leads up to Easter and the resurrection and the celebration of the victory of life over death. But in that lead up, we have to really spend time thinking about, talking about, reflecting on those things from which we need saving, the reason that we need that victory so badly. And so we talk about the experience of sin and death. And that can be a tricky thing to do in our context because many people in our community have been deeply harmed by the rhetoric of sin, which has been weaponized against so many of us. Because in our culture, we actually have a pretty warped understanding of sin. And that's part of what we're talking about during these weeks, is where we have gone so wrong and what are different, healthier, more profound ways to think about sin in our context Because every moment needs a metaphor. Every culture needs different images and references and frameworks for understanding the goodness of God, which is so complex that it can't be captured in one name or one book of the Bible or one image or one prophet, which is why God gives us layers on layers on layers of meaning so that we can sift through that, getting closer and closer and closer to God as we move as a community. And so the central metaphor that we're talking about this season is the idea of the cosmos as an interwoven fabric of connection, of relationship, of righteousness, which the Bible says is right relationship. Last week we talked a little bit about this, that being righteous is not about being right. It is about being in right relationship because our God is communal and relational and connected And so is the whole of creation that God made. And so we think of the universe. We think of the world. We think of God's people as a fabric woven together. And we think of sin as anything that causes a tear in that fabric. Anything that causes separation. Anything that pulls us apart from one another, from that holy, intimate connection. Anything that separates us from God, anything that separates us from one another, anything that separates us from our very selves as we are alienated from the wholeness that God has given us through the things that harm us, these tears in the universe, we call them sin. And thinking about it this way might be a way for us to enter into that story again and understand newly who we are, not as wretched sinners, but as Sinners, as sinners who are part of this fabric, who are longing for connection, for healing, and yet keep engaging in some of those same practices that tear us and wound us. Now, one of the misdirects uh, that we have when it comes to sin comes from the the hyper-individualistic tendencies of white American culture. We think of sin as individual. We think of sin as something between you and God, something that you must atone for, that you must fix, some wrong that you have committed in the isolation of your own soul. But that's actually not how it works. It's part of how it works. It starts with how it works because you are in relationship with God and anything that you do that harms your relationship with God is a tear in the universe, a tiny little fracture that needs healing and repair. But we do not live as hermits in the world, most of us. We are deeply embedded in community, which is as it should be. That's the fabric that holds us together. We are a people of God. And in fact, that phrase, the people of God, is a pretty prominent theme in the Scriptures. The scriptures are directed towards God's people, first the people of Israel, and then as the gospel opens up to the whole of creation, the people of every nation. But God is not talking to the persons. God is not even talking to you alone. God is talking to us, the people of God. And the scriptures have this theme over and over and over again that salvation comes to the people of God, liberation comes to the people of God. The Savior, the Messiah, comes to the people of God. And so when we think about the things that wound us, we can't think about ourselves in isolation, but we think of ourselves as a people, as God's people, longing to be made whole with all of creation, with God and with our own very selves. That's what the Scriptures promise, that we will be made whole, unified together. And though there are many prominent individuals in Scripture, the task of those individuals Abraham, Jacob, Elijah, all the prophets, Jesus. The task is not an individual repair, but a communal one. Save my people. Lead my people. Teach my people. And so the people of God are in search of healing. Healing together. Healing collectively. Healing with the whole of the cosmos. Now on the flip side, when we talk about sin in scripture, there is a theme there as well. Whole cities, whole nations, whole empires are called out in the scriptures as being perpetrators of that harm, of being part of the mechanisms that tear and pull at the universe, that hurt and wound and oppress. And we try not to talk about that a lot because it gets real smitey real fast, and it can make us really uncomfortable. But the reality is that the fire and brimstone energy that our culture has directed towards individuals to try and terrorize people into thinking that it is their individual soul that is at stake, the urgency behind that imagery is actually directed at cities, at countries, at nations, at empires, at the people. And we know that the promise of God is reconciliation. We know that God makes things right in the end. So we know that this is not about winning or losing, getting in, or being banished for eternity. This is about God saying, there is urgency here. The fire is coming. It's because you lit a bunch of fires. Empire. Get it together. And so we bear that responsibility together. But we have a really hard time with this. In our culture, something is either my responsibility or not my job. Something is either on me to fix or not my problem and that is not how the people of god goes because we are each other's problem we are our brother's keeper that's one of the first thing that comes up in the book am i my brother's keeper yes yes we have an obligation to one another to the whole of creation that obligation is relationship and right relationship is righteousness And so when we are called to be righteous, we are called to heal one another in the love of God. And that takes place on the scale of cities and nations and empires and cosmos. Now it does. It starts with you. It involves you. You heal at a core human level. But even that is not happening alone. You are not in isolation healing. You are healing in relationship and community. In the love of God who is three in one. God doesn't do anything alone. God does things with us in right relationship because God is righteous. And so when we talk about sin, if all we're ever hearing about is what an individual can do, especially in the isolation of their own home behind a closed door, that should be a red flag that we are missing a lot of the point. And I'm not saying that we can't cause harm when we are isolated. In fact, some of the deepest harm we can cause to ourselves happens when we isolate ourselves, am I right? So that is real, and that is powerful, and we need to examine the ways that we have control over our little piece of the universe, our little corner of the cosmos that resides in our body. We have authority over that too. And the compounded work of sin in the world crumbles cities Crumbles communities, threatens whole peoples, and we know this. And scripture isn't shy about telling it. Now, if you were here or tuning in online for um, our series brief, you may remember Obadiah, which I summarized um, as being in the genre of track, holy biblical track. (laughs) Now, I really like the prophets, and they're real mad, and they're (laughs) low-key mean sometimes. But one of the things that that characterizes the prophets is the fire they have, the, the urgency they have to communicate what needs to change and what needs to change now. And every one of the prophets is speaking to a people, not a person, a people. Obadiah was speaking to the people of Edom, but we have so many other examples. And one of those examples, um, called out in Nahum and a little bit in Zechariah, is Assyria. Now Assyria was a big, powerful empire. And they used their power, they used their might, their military force, to rain down hell on the people around them. It was that dominating force that accumulating force that we know so well in our modern-day empires and in our modern-day forces like capitalism, that consumptive energy that says, more, more, I want more, and somehow leaves less and less and less in the world. This is that destructive work of compounding sin where all the cumulative impact of those individual relational choices become massive gashes in the universe. The blood spilled leaves empty, open wounds in the cosmos. The Assyrian Empire was a mechanism of death in the way that all empires are, including the one we live in. And so the prophets were calling it out and saying, there is urgency, there is hellfire, you're creating it here. Here. And the more you do that, the more it rains down on us, and it's gonna come back for you too. These fires you're starting, they burn and they consume and they eat away at the fabric of the universe, and we are hurting and we are longing to be made whole. Now, these empires, these cities are called to repent. And again, we think of repentance as being individual. I need to say the sinner's prayer. I need to say the right combination of the right words to God at the right time and a little beam of light is going to come down and make me feel okay again. That's how we've been taught to think about repentance. Now don't worry, we're going to have a whole sermon on repentance later. And I promise it's way cooler than you've been told. But repentance at its heart is about turning, turning the self, turning back towards connection, towards healing, towards community not isolating not pulling back from the cosmos not separating and destroying and creating these big gaps but turning towards toward god toward love toward one another toward hope and so we need to do that large scale Because if the destruction that is being wreaked on the universe is happening at a large scale, then the repair needs to happen at a large scale as well. And it's only going to happen through collective action, collective effort. The things that topple systems and structures of evil, the ways that we as individuals can can team up to destroy, even more so, we are capable of teaming up to heal, to challenge systems and powers of evil to demand a different way from our own selves, one another, and the powers that be, and to heal. But that is hard work. And it involves another complicated part of sin, forgiveness. Enter Jonah, (laughs) my dude. I resonate a lot with this story on a lot of different levels, so it's a little bit hard for me to even talk about without getting on a lot of tangents. But the reason that we have the Jonah story excerpted today is because Jonah was tasked by God to call on Nineveh, which is the capital of that Assyrian empire that was destroying so much, to repent. And Jonah's like, "Uh, pass. Now, we could understand a lot of different reasons why Jonah might want to pass, but I think the most glaringly obvious was that Jonah was Jewish. Jonah was an Israelite in a time when the Assyrian Empire was raining down hellfire on all of its neighbors, including Israel. And so Jonah was being asked to go into the capital of Assyria, the heart of oppression, and just encourage everybody to mend back together. Heal that relationship. That was Jonah's task. And Jonah was like, hard pass, God. So he went in another direction. Now, eventually, Jonah came through Nineveh. He preached what seems like a single sentence, and it worked. If, if only, right? Um, if only, all it took was one warning to an empire, like, hey, guys, this is going to go badly. And then they're all like, oh, man, okay, yeah, no, totally, totally, yeah, no, I, you're right. Jonah's right. Uh, God's right. God's right. Okay. Nationwide fasting. Sackcloth and ashes. We screwed up, guys. We screwed up. And this is one of the reasons that I know that that Jonah is a parable and not a history. It's not the giant fish. It's not surviving in the belly of another animal for three days. It's the fact that the empire turned around after a one-sentence sermon and was like, yeah, no, you're right. We should really fix this. But we are invited in this parable to understand what would happen under those circumstances. And and I think the overarching theme of Jonah is that it would then challenge all of those harmed to be ready, to be willing to engage in forgiveness and in that repair, because that repair of the cosmos is complex. It requires not only the turning back, the repentance of those who have caused harm, but the willingness to reconnect for those who have been harmed. And there is a lot of steps in between to make that okay. And so I think that's the main theme of Jonah. But I think one other theme that we see here that is really powerful for us today is the fact that whole cities and empires and nations can repent. Can repent. That when there is a massive force of destruction in the world, an empire like Assyria, a city like Nineveh, a people who are complicit, they can band together and say, we're not going to do this anymore. In fact, we're not only going to stop the destruction, we are going to mourn. We're going to grieve what has happened, which is a necessary step. And then we are going to commit ourselves to healing and wholeness. This is what it takes. This is what we are called to. To heal the fabric of the universe. But it's it's hard. It's hard for us to think of sin at that scale. It's hard for us to think of repentance at that scale. And it's hard for us to think of culpability in that way. Because Jonah then gets really mad. Because the people of Nineveh are like, yes. Okay, you're right, we're in. And God's like, cool, great. Come on in. And Jonah's like, I don't want to. They started it. They did all this stuff. I don't want to be a part of that healing. And Jonah and God get into this little philosophical debate. And God's basically like, listen, what do you want me to do? Kill them all? And Jonah's like, yes. Oh, please. uh, I've been asking. And literally... (laughs) What God says in response is, can't I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left? And also many animals. And this is God saying, like, hey, listen, man, it's easy to get swept up into empire, Jonah. It's easy to be complicit in these systems of evil. There are a lot of people really ignorant, actually, to what's going on. They don't know the right hand from their left. Also, the animals. <laughs> There's more at stake here. There's more at stake here. And so when we think about that, when we have a hard time understanding accountability, understanding how sin, which we want to blame an individual for, and then sin, which we also want to blame all white people for, you know, like all of this, all of that's reasonable. All of that makes sense. It's in the scriptures. Jonah's debating with God, being like, yes, just end it. Cut them off. And so when we say that there are some people outside of the love of God, we're saying, yes, I'm agreeing with Jonah. Cut them off. When we're saying that there are whole peoples and nations that have just, they've made too many mistakes, they've caused too much harm, we're agreeing with Jonah. Cut them off. And God says, hey, I get it. But there's more at stake here. And actually, we can't be made whole without every single one of them, including the animals. We need to heal. We need to heal from our act of destruction and from our ignorance. We need to heal from the bad choices we make and from our complicit behavior, from our inaction when we fail to challenge those systems like empire and white supremacy and capitalism. We need to rise up together, to be a people that turns toward love together. And you know what? That is exactly how God intends for it to go. That God has given us every tool we need to come together to heal. And and one of the tools we have is the language of sin, to say, hey, Assyria, this is sin. To say, hey, America, this is sin. Hey, white churches, white dominant churches who refuse to talk about police brutality and racism, that's sinful. That's what we need to be talking about. It doesn't negate any other conversation we might have about our individual choices, but the the scriptures have anything to say about sin, it is that when we sin as a people, the destruction we cause is so much greater than any individual could cause. And I'm I'm committed to giving you as many metaphors as possible for sin. My favorite one is from the 1996, 92, um, Disney movie Fern Gully. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jonah. And some of you have exploding hearts right now. Fern Gully was set in an Australian rainforest. And it was about deforestation and environmentalism. And uh, the villain was voiced by Tim Curry. And my little queer heart just exploded at five. I knew. I knew already. Ferngully is about the ways that destruction can take on a personality of its own. The villain in Ferngully is called Hexus, And Hexus is this evil sludge monster. It is described as the spirit of destruction and pollution. And it embodies everything that is toxic. It causes death. Decay and destruction wherever it goes, but what happens is that this little seed of destruction, that's just sort of, you know, swirling around in this corner of the cosmos, encounters some for like some uh, loggers, basically, who are it seems like individually complicated human beings. Maybe chill. Maybe a little ignorant. Um, maybe sometimes actively evil, but human. Not, not two-dimensional characters, not evil sludge monsters, human beings who are working for a logging company. And they are employing these massive tools of destruction, these huge machines that are ready to cut down large swaths of the rainforest. And so this little sludge monster grows. With every tree they cut down, with all the oil that they harvest, it grows and it grows. And this is how I think about sin, truly. That these individual micro tears, these individual choices we make, they compound and they grow and they grow and they somehow take on a power on their own. They have this life, this life that feels outside of any one of us and yet we are all kind of contributing passively or actively a lot of the time. And so this sludge monster just sort of grows and weaves And in our real cosmos, that compounds over generations. And that is how we arrive on this beautiful earth that is at once green and lush and also covered in sludge, that is at once intimate and connected, woven together through right relationship and also in tatters, absolute tatters. And so we arrive on the scene in our corner of the cosmos saying, I didn't do this. I didn't start this mess, and also, I have no idea where to begin. We feel so overwhelmed when we talk about corporate sin, that is, sin that we commit together as communities, as generations. And I think that that's actually a really big reason why we don't talk about it as much. I mean, it's partly because the sludge monster has invaded the pulpit and every form of media and every part of our lives. And so, you know, it wants to really redirect. But I do think, (laughs) on a side note, (laughs) but I do think that it's also extremely hard to sit in the peace and love and confidence and blessed assurance of God and look out at a universe in tatters, a world covered in toxic sludge, and say, okay, it's my job to be a part of the cleanup. It's my job to be a part of mending this. It's my eternal task to heal the universe. But again, it feels overwhelming because we are thinking only of ourselves. And God doesn't ask us to do anything alone because God doesn't do anything alone because God is righteous and righteousness is right relationship. We are called to be in right relationship with one another. And that means mending our corner. But it also means banding together, using those newly strengthened immediate relationships, the communities we build, the families we build, and taking those relationships into the streets, taking those relationships into the heart of Nineveh, into the Assyrian Empire, and saying, we've got to turn this around, you guys. Who's with us? And we band together, and we build up and we can starve that monster. We can heal those wounds. We can repair those gashes in the universe. We can, because as, as destructive as we are, as capable as we are of toxicity and destruction, we are so much more capable of love and healing and repair. And we do that when we do it together. Now, there is one last metaphor that I want to give you today. And that is the metaphor of sin as captivity, sin as being in chains. That's a really persistent one throughout time, and I think it's related to this feeling that we feel so trapped, we feel so incapable. It's also related to the very real history of people being literally captive, of the systems of evil dominating people's lives so much as to put them into literal chains. And what we say when we call that sin We say that is not of God. And what we say when we talk about God is that our God is a God of liberation. Our God is a God of freedom. Healing means freedom. And healing means breaking those chains. And so our God, Jesus Christ, our liberator, comes to heal, to mend, but also to free, to take us out of that captivity, of that feeling of being so stuck and frozen, of looking out onto the universe and saying, I can't move. I can't take it. I don't know what to do. Those sludge monsters, they're not going to win. Those chains, they can be broken. They can be broken by God. God is coming to break every chain. But you know what? God doesn't break those chains, those chains of empire, those chains of misogyny, those chains of xenophobia. God doesn't break those chains alone. Why? Because God is righteous And so God does things in right relationship, and right relationship is with us. And that is why we will sing today that there is an army rising up to break every chain. And that is us. That is the people of God. This is what it means to be God's people. To hear that call and to rise up together and say, we, we are the healing. We are the solution We have inherited this broken world and yes, we know that we contribute to that brokenness every single day but we also have the power of the love of God, the power given to us in community, the power knitting us together in hope and salvation. We will be a part of God's work to break every chain, to heal every toxic corner of the universe. We will mend ourselves together. That's you. No, that's us. The people of God. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you have given us power beyond our imagination to heal. We are so used to seeing power that destroys, power that takes. But God, your power frees and it gives and it unites and it draws us in towards love. May we seek out one another in your love. May we feel That surge of capacity, God, as we link with one another and you. May you give us the vision for a healed universe. And may we, together, pursue it. Amen.